Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ben. Okay. We've upgraded our PY sound pack wow. this week. Wow. It was such a hit last week. How could it get any better? Let's uh, let's play this. Oh, oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking like, have you used some AI here to Wow, it's really my good. voice? Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna type this in. I'm gonna type this in. It's great to be back on the podcast. <laughs> wow. Oh, the American filters on. <laughs> Wow. Has AI gone too far? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes, PY's back. PY's back. It's good to have you back, PY. Thanks, guys. Hard to get three guys in a room together. It's hard yeah. To busy men. Busy schedules. Yeah. yeah. But here we are. Quite conveniently. Today, we're going to talk about the Kurds. Mm. I had a friend who both of you know, but we will keep their identity safe for the purpose of this podcast. I'm pretty sure we've referenced him in previous podcasts. The Patreon special definitely has referenced him a lot. I think yeah. the only name we've mentioned is Keegan Mason, but it sounds like <laughs> that's because he's already in the public eye. Well, he's already, yeah. <laughs> <Or> he <will. laughs> and basically, so he starts working at a law firm and one of his co-workers is Kurdish. Now, this person is a smart guy, but has been brought up in a Bogan background. So he has very little geographical or like just historical geographical awareness and so as they're kind of talking to each other this guy says to him i'm kurdish and in his brain he's gone what on earth, what country is that like i've never heard of this mm-hmm. and so he runs through his brain and he's like you know i'm pretty sure kuwait is a country kurdish must be short for kuwait <laughs> <laughs> must be and so he's about to like say like oh when did you move from kuwait but he's like no 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 i'll just hold on just just to make sure eventually he says his family moved from iraq and so in his brain he's gone oh kurdish just means iraqi <laughs> and it's a synonym for iraqi and so he has said in subsequent conversations he has used the word kurdish to describe someone from iraq period <laughs> and only Six months in, did he realise that Kurdish was not a country, that it was a subset within certain countries, mm. and he, he felt felt very embarrassed. Mm. He said to me, he's like, have you ever heard of, of Kurdish people? And oh, wrong person to ask, because like, this is what I'm interested in. And I'm like, 
Yeah. yeah. He's like, oh. Have you not? It's a, <laughs> it's such a strange phenomenon. Have you heard much it's about silly. the Kurds before? Did we have we talked we talked about them a little bit in one of our episodes? We did. Maybe the Saddam one? I yeah, I don't think I know very much about the Kurds. I feel like I align with, with your friend. <laughs> I don't know if I would have been as bold as him to assume that it meant Iraqi, but Well, we did look at them initially in the Saddam Hussein podcast. We're going to go all the way back. We're going to go to quite literally a century ago to 1923. Actually, no, we'll go one, one further. We'll go back to the year 1920. So World War I, we have the Ottoman Empire that gets carved up. And basically, it's the partition of Turkey. And the Ottoman Empire is the main power in the Middle East. Can anyone, do you remember who Iraq went to? Like Britain? Yes, yeah. Britain. And so we have Lebanon going to France. And basically, the Middle East gets partitioned up. A guy called Mustafa Kemal Ataturk was adamant that Turkey itself wouldn't be carved up and wouldn't be partitioned by the Allies. Mm. You said Turkey carved up. It was a pretty, it was a pretty simple one. Adamant to Turkey would not be carved. Yeah. <laughs> we just, just watched, watched yeah. the Thanksgiving <laughs> episode of Gossip Girl right, <laughs> recording today. Was it Thanksgiving? Was that? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Drama. <laughs> did you get there? Did you arrive for any of the Thanksgiving dinner or was that? No. Oh, no so you just arrived for like trip and. For the collateral after. Uh, <laughs> it seemed to be a fair bit of it. But. I literally walk into PY's little nook and PY is in bed, shirt off, rugged up, watching Gossip Girl, and he says to me, This one's a good wine. <laughs> As I come in to set up. It's a great way to start the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, we will actually meet that Kurdish guy this afternoon. We're all going to be oh, at the same event. We, yeah. we can meet the Kurdish guy. I've met him once before. Lovely guy. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, good. And so basically, Ataturk was adamant that Turkey wouldn't be carved up, so to speak. Mm. And he led the resistance against the Allies and basically fought something of a war of independence. And by 1923, we have an independent Turkey. But if I go back to 1920 for just a moment there was a clause in the Paris Peace Conferences. So there was the Treaty of Sèvres. Of what? Sèvres. Hmm. I think I think well, I get that pronunciation right. Yeah, no, no, it's yeah. just... Yeah, I just never heard those sounds before. <laughs> <laughs> sort of rolled an R in there or something. <laughs> so there's there's the Treaty of Versailles, mm-hmm. the Treaty of Saint-Germain, mm-hmm. and the Treaty of Sèvres. Mm-hmm. And effectively, if you remember from the Paris Peace Conferences... Woodrow Wilson and his 14 peace points. That yeah, I remember bells? it in, in modern history. Big time, big yeah. time. Yeah, huge fan. One of those was self-determination, i.e. ethnic groups have the right to govern themselves. So Poland shouldn't be part of Germany because Poles are ethnically different to Germans. That was mm. kind of the theory that underpinned self-determination. In the Treaty of Sèvres, there was a clause that the Kurds would be independent. Now, the Kurds are a group of today roughly 40-odd million people that are in the Arab world but are not ethnically Arab, so to speak. So they're a different ethnicity to Arabs. Largely Sunni Muslim, but it's not the religion that defines them. It's just their race. And they're actually ethnically different to both Arabs and to Persians. Following me so far. Yes. Mm. And they're, are they, they're sort of scattered across the Middle East. Is that yes, what you're saying? exactly yeah. right. But if you could you could draw a border around all, all where they're scattered into one independent country, which they would call Kurdistan. 
oh, and that's like, that's not going to accidentally take in other peoples that shouldn't be there? Like, are they all kind of... In it, a... it, it would, but not... not The Kurds would still be the majority group if that were the case. Right. So anytime you draw borders, it's never going to be completely clean. Yeah. And you will have people fall on the wrong side of the border, i.e. what happened with Poland and Germany after World War One. A right. lot of people who lived in what was East Germany then became Poland and then ended up outside their home country. Yeah. But the Kurds' argument is if you just draw a pencil line around all of where the Kurds are, the Kurds are the majority group that lives there. And so theoretically they could have an independent Kurdistan and that was one of the peace conditions at the Treaty of Sevres in 1920. But if we remember back, Ataturk fought against the carving up of Turkey and led the resistance, and he demanded at the end of the kind of Turkish War of Independence, he demanded that the Kurds be not given an independent country because the primary primary part of Kurdistan falls within Turkish borders, mm. and he did not want an independent Kurdish country right on his doorstep. And so he was adamant that peace could only happen if the Kurds were not given independence. And so this was the Treaty of Lausanne, and in 1923, the Kurds were denied independence. So mm. going back a century from when we're recording this. So that's pretty huge. Yeah. They, they, they were basically promised independence by the West, and then the West didn't follow through on it. That's really important because effectively, this is a story that follows the Kurds for the next century, where we see a cycle of a country, usually America, getting their hopes up as a nation for independence and then quashing them, and then getting their hopes up as a nation, and then quashing them. Now, the Kurds have one huge geopolitical advantage for dealing with countries in the Middle East. So if you're a superpower, and we're just going to use America for this conversation today, can you think of the advantage that the Kurds would serve for your tactical purposes in the Middle East? Is it like a, is it a geographical one? Partially. So they fall within mainly four yeah. countries. So Turkey is the main one. That's where most Kurds are. But then we also have Iran, Iraq, and Syria. They're the other three big Kurdish-dominant countries. So having these populations scattered in each of these four countries, can you think of a way that that would help you in dealing with those countries? Is it like, can you like set up a little base in those countries? Is that what's going on? You could go even further than a base. What do you mean? You just... Take, take them over. What? I'm confused. The whole thing become Kurdistan. Well, think about it. So say Iraq or Iran or Turkey or Syria, any of those four countries it, mm. are not doing what you want them to do and are acting against your wishes. What you can do, because there's a lot of people who don't want to be part of that country, mm. just slip them some guns. Mm, and then off yeah. you go. That country's tied down fighting against this Kurdish population. And it's a real thorn in the side for all these Arab states and Tur- and throw in Turkey as well. So effectively what happens is America takes the lead. It never promises Kurdistan complete independence, but it gives them a lot of nudges and winks. And this is a perfect situation for them because they can deal with pretty much any of those four countries by going through their Kurdish population. It weakens those the four countries around it massively and so that's why there's there's some leaders out there that have led their country to basically so like the leader of indonesia in late 1990s was pretty much like we don't want east timor to be part of indonesia get rid like pretty like a little bit more nuanced than that but basically kind of 
gave the all clear for them to not be part of Indonesia because he didn't want all the trouble that was caused yeah. by people wanting independence. He's like, it's just better that they're independent and mm. not causing issues for us. And so a lot of world leaders actually kind of adopt that philosophy and are pretty lenient towards independent territories because they don't want the constant infighting in the country that destabilizes them. Mm. We're better to strike a deal with them than to keep going. So mm. we have the Six-Day War in 1967, primarily fought between Israel and the Arab states. America, whose side are they on? Israel. Uh, Israel. Always a safe bet to, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, not the Arab states. <laughs> and so to stop Iraq from kind of throwing their weight behind the Arab states and suppressing Israel, what does America do? Slip some guns to the Kurds, and then that occupies Iraq pretty well and good. And Iraq can't divert their attention towards the Six-Day War. Mm. And then America realizes, wow, this is the winning formula here. Any issues with any of these four countries, slip, slip the Kurds some guns and, and off you go. Mm. And so basically what happened in the 1970s was this became a repeated pattern. So 1972, Iraq signed an arms deal with the Soviets. Henry Kissinger, who at the time was National Security Advisor, would end up becoming Secretary of State. Still alive today, Henry Kissinger slipped some guns to the Kurds and basically helped arm them. Now, they never supported an independent Kurdistan completely. And there's an issue. If Kurdistan became independent today, like you feel really bad for the Kurds, you feel really sorry for them. But giving them an independent nation will create all sorts of issues. So if you draw a Kurdistan, kind of like I'm just signaling it out to you guys right now, what countries would surround it if you take them out of those four countries? All, all those the, four countries. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And how are those countries going to feel? A little little hard done by. A little miffed. Yeah. Is it not already like, like a line though? Like... Are they already separate? Like they're not really get. Are they not getting anything from those people, or like they still have access to resources and stuff that are there? Yeah, good question. So we'll come on to basically the, the the mechanics of it a little bit later on. But there's something in a lot of the countries, particularly in in, in Syria, there's something called an autonomous zone. So it's kind of like they're semi-independent, but they still answer to the government. They still pay taxes to the government and they still, at the end of the day, are part of the same nation, but they get a lot of autonomy in how to govern themselves on a day-to-day basis. So they are, they do have some degree of autonomy, but they're not at all an independent nation where they have a singular language spoken across them all, uh, ethnically unified, and as the Kurds share access to the same resources. So I... The Kurds in, say, northern Iraq or northern Syria, say if America put an embargo on Iraq or Syria, they would be very much affected by that. If they're their own independent nation, America could deal with them all quite separately to how they would deal with the Iraqi or the Syrian government. So if they were to get an independent nation, they're still surrounded by four angry ex-overlords, and that mm. creates a whole bunch of other issues. So it's it's a really dicey situation that really can be traced all the way back to 1923. So Ataturk has really put one over on the Kurds that still mm. <laughs> kind of has implications for them today. Have you seen You Don't Mess with the Zohan? I have. It's one of my biggest regrets in life that I haven't seen that movie. Is wow. that Ben Stiller? No, it's Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler. Wait, what was the Ben Stiller one? I think you can Blades of Glory. I have seen Blades of Glory. <laughs> That's not Ben Stiller though, is it? That's Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell. No, yeah. go on. Don't mess with the Zohan. 
That's Adam Sandler plays like an Israeli war hero, and it's just it's outlandish, but it's quite amazing. It's yeah, it's good. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know what more to say. I mean, it's, Wait, it's is that ridiculous. <laughs> Better or worse? We were than talking happy. about Israel before. Yeah, oh, right. <laughs> I forgot he was Israel. Um, I think I think he was. Yeah, yeah. And he moves to America, so like he's um he's basically like bionic. He's just he's like this super soldier, kind super of thing. soldier, and then leaves the army, moves to America because he wants to be a a a, a, a hairstylist. Yeah, he yeah. wants to be a hairdresser. That's his dream. So. That's kind of the plot. <laughs> it writes itself after that, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> and now you just you would like it. A, yeah, you would like it. A you're lot, just I compounding think. that. Yeah, I, I, I do. I trust your judgment when you say you would like that. I had a colleague. What was that Rebel Wilson comedy? It was like uh, last yeah. one standing. Last is it the cheerleader one? No, it's the laugh. It's oh. the comedians one. Oh, the show. The show. Yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah. Last. Yeah, yeah last, I think so. Last one laughing. It's like trying yeah. not to laugh. Yeah, and it was pretty pretty horrendous. If you remember, <laughs> I had. Yeah, I don't watch it. Either. I had someone in there. She was in in there at work. She's in in their mid thirties. She came up to me. He's like, "Have you seen that Rebel Wilson show? You would like it." <laughs> and I had never felt so offended in my life <laughs> <laughs> that someone yeah. said. Yeah, I it's was just a generational difference. It <laughs> lot really worked, is. Like talking about maths and stuff, I'm like, just don't watch like commercial TV at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apart yeah. from Survivor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for the day that that becomes a YouTube. Yeah. Like Survivor becomes like because Mr. Beast Squid Game has more views than the actual Squid Game. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually got. So I'm waiting for the day that YouTube does Survivor, and has like crazy jump cuts and (laughs) (laughs) that would be good all that sort of thing so basically iraq in the 1970s was kind of a weird one by the end of the 1970s it was firmly a u.s ally but before then not so much so basically iran was the key in the middle east for america in the 1970s the reason why was the shah who was the leader of iran was very pro-us and so together Iran and America would frequently stir up the Kurds in Iraq because Iran and Iraq have always yeah, had water issues and they would stir up the Kurds. What happened was in 1979, you saw the movie Argo on the plane, right, Ben? I did. I did. Yeah. Great film. It re- it re- uh, fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And this is somebody who can't stand Ben Affleck on any sort of level. Really? Why does Ben Affleck rubbed you up yeah. the wrong way? Have you seen on Bill Maher with Sam Harris? No. This is going back like 10 years. He basically calls Sam Harris Islamophobic because Sam Harris was kind of critiquing Islam itself. Right. And like, basically was like, why do you hate Muslim people? And Sam Harris was like, well, I, I don't. <laughs> um, anyway, that's a, mm. a separate conversation. Well, you must really hate him if you're going into bat for Sam Harris. <laughs> you must really just like that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't just like Sam Harris. Uh, but if you're siding with Sam, like, I feel like you disagree fundamentally with a lot of what Oh, I do. Totally, yeah, as, as a religious guy versus like <laughs> yeah. the, one of the four horsemen totally <laughs> but i can understand that his motives aren't sinister yeah sure and ben affleck just basically goes on and like this is the era where like people hadn't become fatigued with like celebrity wokeism yet so right. he got so. like got cheers and everything yeah but yeah so it's a bit ahead of his time really with the, the virtue yeah. signal yeah, yeah yeah exactly that's the better good, word virtue um, signal that's the good family guy cutaway where it's like it's like <laughs> ben affleck and matt damon and matt damon like is writing Goodwill Hunting is like, there, it's finished. Goodwill Hunting. And then Ben Affleck's on the couch behind is like, 
Hey, do you want to uh, do you want to put my name on that? <laughs> yeah, I don't. You haven't you haven't done anything. Yeah, yeah I have. <laughs> How about this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So basically, so 1979, the Iran goes through its kind of fundamentalist revolution, and then it's controlled by the Ayatollah, and it becomes an American enemy. So that's that's the events of Argo, right? Is that Argo? Yeah, Argo is what happens afterwards with the American embassy. Yeah, yeah. So basically. Iran, up until that point, is an American ally, and Iran helps America in provoking the Kurds and then backing away. So, for example, basically, there was something called the Algiers Agreement, where Iran had kind of stoked up the Kurds in Iraq and kind of helped supply them with weapons. But basically, Iran and Iraq came to a truce at the Algiers Agreement, where they could have joint control over an important waterway called the Shat al-Arab Waterway. And what Iraq got in return was that Iran would no longer support the Iraqi Kurds. So again, Iran stokes them up, stokes them up, stokes them up. Oh, now we've got something that we want from Iraq, so you're on your own, the Kurds. And that is significant in of itself because Saddam Hussein would then go on to burn down 1,400 villages and arrested thousands who supported the Kurdish leader, Masoud Barzani. So every time that a country withdraws its support for the Kurds, it's not just like, oh, well, the dream's gone. Maybe maybe two decades down the track, you can become independent. It's There's always going to be a counter-reaction from the existing government. Mm. And you've got to understand it from the existing government's point of view. They can't just have rebels in their state operate without consequence. Mm. If they are adamant that this is Iraqi territory, you cannot use guns against the Iraqi government and expect no consequence. And so it's a really dicey situation where there's no clear way forward in what to do. So basically, fast forward to the invasion of Kuwait, the real the real Kuwait. Yeah. <laughs> and wait, but how can Kurdish people invade Kuwait? That's, <laughs> it's their own country. <laughs> wait, I thought it was Iraq. <laughs> so basically, if you remember back from the Iraq podcast. What happened was Saddam Hussein invades Kuwait, George H.W. Bush declares war on, on Iraq, and they kind of go to war over Kuwait. George H.W. Bush basically declared that northern Iraq was an autonomous zone. That's where the Kurds are. They're in the north. So they're an autonomous zone and basically said that they would be able to take matters into their own hands. How would you interpret that? Like, it's okay what they're doing? Yeah, yeah, like... Go to town, get to work, go go fight. Yes. So what do the Kurds do? Go and fight. That's, they go and fight. Yeah, that's the thumbs up they needed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <It's> head management, <laughs> corp- corporate signed off on it. Yeah, yep. we're on. They're good to go. And then Saddam Hussein hunted them down and George Bush did nothing. Mm. And again, you're kind of torn between two. It's like actually appreciate that America didn't go full-on active aggression against Iraq, but also very inconsistent. They went to war with Iraq for invading invading Kuwait, I should say, but when Iraq actually started committing pretty significant war crimes, America did nothing for that. Mm. And so America's policy with the Kurds is very inconsistent, and it's just a cycle of them getting their hopes up and then letting them down. I should also add this. So do you remember what country that most of the Kurds are from? Turkey. Turkey. Correct. So, from 1994 to 1997, Turkey was the biggest importer of U.S. arms 
and how did Turkey use those guns against the Kurds mm. in Kurdish Turkey? Mm. So playing both sides. Yes. Yeah. And if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15 15 15 just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This cycle would only continue with the war on terror. It is a bit like Survivor. So, the war on terror. How do you reckon the Kurds would feel when Bush announced an invasion of Iraq? Well, they're probably... I would say they're probably... Upbeat? How's morale? They're cheering. They're like... They're jovial. They're like, yeah. once again... We're on here, boys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this time, this time, it, it, I promise right. this is this is going to be it. And do we have an independent Kurdistan today? We do not. We do not. No. So the boys were not on. They were not on, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of excitement, but basically, Turkey were really careful in how they managed the situation. So Bush initially wanted to do his invasion of Iraq through Turkey, but Turkey said no, and Turkey and America were allies. So that was pretty significant for Turkey to be like, nah, you're not doing this through our country. And Is that because of the Kurds? Like, Yes, ultimately. Because they were worried about destabilizing Iraq and they were so worried about to get to Baghdad, would have to, you'd have to go through Kurdish Iraq to get there. So they did not want heaps of American soldiers in Kurdish Iraq to get to Baghdad because, again, that would only promote Kurdish independence if they've mm. got American soldiers with them. And so Turkey was like, no way, you're not coming through us, even though they're close allies. And so America instead, rather than coming from the north further south, they started from the southeast and advanced further north from Kuwait. Now, so Turkey did that. In 2007, when it was clear that the new Iraqi government was really struggling and that there was a lot of resistance from the kind of Sunni radicals who had joined al-Qaeda, Turkey basically used this as an excuse to do border incursions into northern Iraq, and they even bombed northern Iraq in in the Kurdish areas. And so, again, under the justification that a for national security reasons, an inflamed and an emboldened Kurdish population in Iraq would spill over into Turkey and create issues for for Turkey. So, they're like, no, 
we we are going to step in here and basically attack northern Iraq. Mm. So the Kurds do not get their independence from Iraq when it was looking like potentially they might have. We then have a new opportunity where the boys are on once again. Oh, my gosh. Syria. Yes. Now, again, Syria, that's the other. So the only real country we haven't spoken about with their Kurdish population is Iran. And we won't really touch too much on Iran today. But Syria is the next one. Now, the Syrian civil war, we've said this before, is going to be its own podcast topic. Effectively, there's four blocks. Number one, you've got the existing government, which is controlled by Bashar al-Assad, and they're supported by Russia and Iran. Number two, you have the alternate government that pops up after the Arab Spring and basically demands a less authoritarian government. They are supported by Qatar and Saudi Arabia. Number three, you have the Kurds, and the Kurds are basically in the Syrian civil war wanting their own independence. Number four you have ISIS and ISIS plops up basically trying to create an Islamic state of Iraq and Syria and bringing it back into kind of a Sunni fundamentalist state rather than the kind of Shia state that Iraq was heading into. So that making sense so far. That's the Syrian civil war. Yep. America initially joins the Syrian civil war to fight against ISIS. So they fight with the Kurds against ISIS. Is it only the Kurds fighting ISIS at this point or are the other two? Like, the Are they just fighting amongst themselves kind of thing? They are the two of them are also fighting against ISIS. It's not right. a there's not two sides to this war. Yeah. There's yeah. effectively th- four sides to the war. My gosh. Yes. Mm. And what happened it's like yeah, kinda of like Rob the Nest. There's it's four different <laughs> <laughs> attack points going on. So America joins on the side of the Kurds to fight against ISIS. It also helps the alternate government fight against... So that's the kind of first wave of rebels that popped up mm. to fight against ISIS too. Um, eventually what happens is Trump accuses Bashar al-Assad of using chemical weapons and then Trump attacks Assad. And so now the American forces are not only attacking ISIS, but attacking Assad. And they are fighting with the Kurds, not against ISIS, or not just against ISIS, but now against Assad. If you are helping a part of the population fight against their head of state, because Assad's the official head of state of Syria, Mm. what would be the implication for the Syrian Kurds? An uprising. Yeah. You're helping us in the revolution. Yeah. This mm. is this this is our chance. This yeah. is really we our are, chance. We are so on right now. <laughs> Unbelievably on. <laughs> yes. And is there an independent Kurdistan today? No, not yet. Not yet. So basically what happened is really interesting. One of Trump's biggest selling points was he was completely different to the other Republicans on foreign policy. So Bush was like, war on terror was needed. It was necessary. We kind of made Iraq into a democracy. Trump comes in in 2015 as he's kind of campaigning for presidency in 2016. He comes in and is like, that's the dumbest idea ever. That war was terrible. Nothing good has happened from it. We got into Iraq when we shouldn't have. We've got into Libya when we shouldn't have. And now we are, we've done a terrible withdrawal. So not only did we get in on bad reasons... But now we've withdrawn when we shouldn't have withdrawn and created a huge power vacuum in Iraq um, and then in Libya too. That was his basic argument. What does Trump do? Well, Trump does exactly that in Syria. And so Mm. he goes, yeah, we're going to fight against Assad. We're going to basically beat this authoritarian government. He kind of uses strikes on on Assad-controlled areas. 
And at the end of 2018, it's like, nah, we're out, boys. Party's off. Mm. We're, we're withdrawing. And then Trump's branding is like, I am the president who withdrew from the Middle East. I got us out of these dumb wars. It's like, well, you also kind of escalated significantly more from when Obama was in. And so there, there, there was that. In 2019, he withdraws all remaining soldiers from, from Syria. The kind of subtext behind it is Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, the leader of ISIS, was killed in 2019. And ISIS's territory was pretty much dwarfed by that point. And ISIS were more or less defeated by 2019. And so Trump's like, well, the original reason as to why we got in there, that's been dealt with. We're off and we're withdrawing away from Syria. And he takes the remaining soldiers out from northern Syria which is where the Kurds are. Mm. Who would pounce here? So everyone's out of out of Syria now. Surely then, do you then punish the Kurds for their, their uprising, like what happened before? Who would punish the Kurds? Um, would it be the other Syrians, the rest of Syria? You would think so. Mm. So you would think it would be Bashar al-Assad, who then makes a move on the Kurds. It's not another country makes a move. Surely not the Turks, is it? It is the Turks. Oh, my gosh. Wow. So Turkey, I don't know if you remember, this is like October 2019. It was a pretty big news story at the time. Turkey came south and effectively invaded northern Syria and basically as a way of saying to the Kurds, you are not getting your independence. And the they, my favourite part of this was Trump's explanation for what was going on. I think at this point, Trump was just done with trying to put gloss and trying to put spin on everything. Mm. That when they asked him, he's like, yeah, we've got to be like mom and dad. Sometimes we just got to let the kids fight. <laughs> <laughs> Trump a real one for that. <laughs> that was his explanation for, for, for effectively what, what had happened. Um, you also got to remember that the Kurds supported America throughout this whole operation. They'd done lots of important operations like translation duties and all, all that sort of thing. And then they were kind of left to themselves and the Turks came in. Turkey, so so 14 to 20 million of the Kurds come from Turkey. So roughly 18% of Turkey's population is Kurdish. So pretty significant mm. portion. And again, we've got to remember the irony of Trump criticized Obama, Bush, um, and Hillary Clinton, who was Secretary of State, for their withdrawals from Iraq and from Libya. And it's like, it, you, you got in there needlessly and you got out there and created a power vacuum. What happens in Syria? Exactly what he accused those guys of doing. And basically, this was really interesting. So America, it's such a delicate situation for him. Turkey has one huge geographical advantage for America's interests if they're an American ally. Any guesses as to what that could be? I feel like I don't know my Turkish geography well enough. Um, that it borders some in, water. Yeah, it's in Europe. I thought um, it would be some helpful canal or river or something. Yeah. Bit bigger, I think bigger. Ocean. The um, oh, think smaller. <laughs> in between, in between canal and ocean. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of anything. <laughs> Swimming pool. It's uh, uh, some sort of strait, right? I don't know. Bigger than a strait. The Mediterranean Sea. Other sea. Damn. Oh. On the other side. The black, not the Black Sea. Yeah, the Black Sea. Oh, let's go. Who else is in the Black Sea? People are like, Morocco? Black Pearl, Morocco. Paris the Caribbean, <laughs> Davy Jones. Only is the Black Sea the one in between Europe and, and Africa? Or is that different? No, it's Mediterranean. That's the, that's the Mediterranean. It is between Europe and Asia, though. Yeah. 
Oh, is it near China? Istanbul. Has it got is China Black involved? Sea on Don't. the other side. Armenia, Azerbaijan. <laughs> Unfortunately, they're not the key players. <laughs> Russia. Correct. Ukraine. Mm. Wow. <laughs> really? It is Russia. And Turkey is just too important an ally to have in the Black Sea to alienate heavily. And they are a NATO ally, and they're one of the key NATO allies. So, effectively, America's in a sticky situation. Turkey has effectively violated international law. And again, international law is really relative. At the end of the day, it's not really binding. But countries like America try and make an effort to have it be binding so that there is some way of kind of policing global efforts. So Turkey's violated international law, but Turkey is their key NATO ally against Russia. If you're too punitive on Turkey and relations had been souring pretty much from the war on terror, if you're too punitive on Turkey, then that alienates Turkey and you lose a key ally in NATO. So what do you do? Well, America put sanctions on steel, which didn't really impact them too heavily. It limited their ability to make arms, but it wasn't extremely punitive. But then 10 EU nations plus Canada put uh, an arms embargo on Turkey to be like, hey, you're using these arms to do illegal activity. We are going to limit um, and put an embargo on selling arms to you, a temporary embargo. So that was all at the end of 2019. We've got to go back to the Kurds though, because the Kurds are effectively in a very sticky situation. Who would oppose the invasion of Syria? The Syrian people. Yes. So... (laughs) Bashar al-Assad's government were the biggest opponents to a Turkish invasion. The Kurds are like, would we rather live with Bashar al-Assad or would we rather live with the Turks? And they sided with Bashar al-Assad. And they wow. kind of came back basically being like, we hate that we have to do this, but we're going to back Bashar al-Assad against the Turks. Mm. And so we kind of fast forward 100 years from where we initially began the story And it is very interesting. The Kurds are not independent. They promised independence 100 years ago. Maybe a lot of these situations would have been solved had the Kurds been given their independence. But you have this huge ethnic group. They are the largest ethnic group in the world that don't have their own country. Mm. So what do you do? Well, I mean, you'd naively give them their, like, say, give them their independence, right? But... Who knows what could happen and with four people just all around them that that don't want that you know four people <laughs> four people <laughs> four peoples four nations is there like somewhere just vacant in the globe that they can all <laughs> go to well last time we tried to find a vacant space it created a 70 year war that that was israel israel palestine yeah. Uh, yeah but like they still did it Madagascar looks all right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Where, like Greenland? I don't know. Like, where do you, where, where do you go? I mean, Australia probably. Like, we we could probably donate a bit of Australia. Yeah, they can have not WA. We need that, but (laughs) they can have a lot of lot of the rest of the inner of Australia. (laughs) (laughs) We can have. I mean. Yeah, Tasmania. That's an option. That's an option. I mean, (laughs) Australia would have 23 million people living on it, the mainland, while Tasmania would have 40 million people living on it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a couple options. I guess there's no no space anyway. 
Maybe. Yes. <laughs> and so we could potentially see a Kurdish diaspora because it's not safe. What's for a these, diaspora? Basically where your home people are spread across different areas. Right. So with the main diaspora we think about is the Jewish diaspora who... Uh, so we've got a couple of them. So if we get like look at the Old Testament history, we've got the first Jewish diaspora in Babylon, where they were scattered across modern day Iraq. Yeah. But then when the Persians took over, Cyrus let them go home. Mm. We then fast forward to the second Jewish diaspora, which in the year seventy AD, Emperor Vespasian sieged Jerusalem, and once again the Jews were kicked largely kicked out of Jerusalem and were scattered to both Europe and the Middle East. That created all sorts of issues. In the Middle Ages, you had kind of medieval Catholic Europe burning down synagogues on the regular. And we have the Spanish Inquisition where Jews were killed in pretty high volume. Mm. We kind of have pretty poor treatment of Jews in, in the Middle East by a lot of the Sultanate governments. And eventually you have the Holocaust. And so it's like, okay, if we create a diaspora... That could create huge issues. Now, in the era of multiculturalism, you would think that that would be much less of an issue. Like, no one in Western nations really cares what your ethnic background is, by and large. Like, Vox would have have you believe otherwise that, like, neo-Nazi rallies are happening every other week, but, but they are a very slim minority. Mm. So you would think that there would be some... That'd be, like, the danger wouldn't be as pertinent as it was for the Jews for the last 2,000 years... But you still don't want to create a diaspora. Just from, like, again, the whole principle of self-determination, that people have the right to speak their, like, for lack of a better word, home tongue, that people have the right to live in community with their, like, kindred, um, with, their, mm. with their kind, and to effectively have communities that speak the same language, that kind of share cultural traditions with each other. Like, a lot... A lot of these things are not just ethnic, but also cultural too. And if we make the Kurds a diaspora for kind of safety reasons, then we are effectively denying them what is a global human right. Mm. So that's another issue. And no one has really put forward a clear solution as to what to do. I'm stumped. And we're three yeah. guys behind a mic. Uh, yeah. We could workshop something. That, uh, <laughs> Let's get the butcher's paper out. <laughs> but that's where he's like, that's another reason why he, history is like so important that again, like it's very easy to dismiss history as just, yeah. Oh, like a bonus. Like uh, you, uh, only some people really need to study it. But at the end of the day, if we are historically literate on the Kurdish issue, then we really don't have a solution for it. So the person, whoever comes up with the solution, whoever that may be down the track, God willing, they would have to know the ins and outs of Kurdish history, know the geography of the Middle East really well, and also kind of have a really good understanding of different country stances and the geopolitical implication. It's it's just an absolute minefield mm. of how to come up with it. And we've just sat here and complained the whole time and haven't come up with any solutions. So that's, that's just a microcosm of broader society. These days. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the solution was never the point. Complaining. Oh, it's a super dog. What America's doing. Hey? Yeah. <laughs> Such dogs. Well, I would like to say I've had a great time recording that one. It, it, is, a, it is a rather bleak podcast mm. we've done. Yeah. So how are, how are things currently with the, the Turkish invasion? Of Syria, 
is that petered out? It's like largely uh, cool. Say Peter out like the Hamish and Andy podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it was a Peter out. Erdogan petered out. Um, yeah. So effect, it, it, like it has cooled off a lot yeah. from, from 2019. 2020, just, just the chronology of 2020, it's COVID and national attention gets redirected completely mm. in 2020. Yeah. So it's nowhere near as dicey as what it was. But yeah, Syria is still not a great place because there's the alternate government and there's Bashar al-Assad still kind of operating in Syria. In Iraq, it's not great. So there's effectively the Shiites are the majority power in Iraq right now. Sunnis are a minority. Kurds are a minority. But Kurds are reasonably well protected in Iraq. It's definitely nowhere near as bad for them as what it was under Saddam Hussein. And so, yeah, we, we've done another podcast on basically how getting rid of Saddam Hussein and particularly the Ba'ath Party destabilized Iraq. One of the plus points is that now it is looking better for Kurds in Iraq than it was 20 years ago. But for a while there, it wasn't <laughs> in that in that 20 year period too. Uh, in Iran, what basically is watch this space is the Ayatollah regime might fall reasonably soon as a lot of people are predicting. What would that mean for the Kurds in Iran? I don't know. And for, Tur- for the Kurds in Turkey, uh, not much has changed. And... Yeah. Effectively, it's really interesting because... So the Kurdistan Workers' Party, the PKK, that's kind of the big Kurdish independence group. They're listed as, a, as an international terrorist group. And that's because they fought wars of resistance against the Turks. And Turkey views them officially as a terrorist group. And so there's, again, no clear solution forward there for what to do with the Kurds in Turkey. And so... Yeah, a lot of it's watched this space mm. and it, it's a matter of treating each individual Kurdish group. So rather than viewing them as a collective, probably the best way forward would be to treat each country's Kurds in isolation. I was just thinking about that, like, because like you said about Indonesia and East Timor, right, where they're like, the unrest is just kind of too sort of pointless mm. that we'll just let them be independent. Like, would there be scope just for like, say, Iraq to be just to let their section of Kurdish people be independent because they just don't want the hustle anymore? Or is, like, that area too valuable to them? Um, like, why is that not feasible? Why, Cam? Tell me why. Why haven't, <laughs> why haven't they done this already? <laughs> Short answer, it, it is possible. And, like, it, it is a potential option. For Iraq, their big concern is who they're surrounded by. So Iraq's surrounded by... Well, and then they neighbor Iran. If they get rid of their Kurdish population, that really weakens the size of and impact of their economy. I'm a big believer in Paul Keating's argument that in a late stage industrial revolution market economy, if your economy is managed correctly, population does correspond to the strength of your economy. We're seeing that with China right now. We're seeing it with the rise of India. And so to actually wipe out what would be just under a third of your population mm. would limit the strength of your economy. And when you're next door to Iran, that would push you in a real position of danger. That would be my, my main belief as to why Iraq hasn't entertained the idea of, of Kurdish independence. You've also got the potential impact. If Iraqi Kurds get independent, then your neighbor's Kurdish populations will also want independence, which will completely sour your relations with those mm. other countries. They'll be like, you, you jerk, you've played good cop and now we all look like bad cop mm. compared to you. A couple of that in with what a lot of them are doing right now, which is just creating autonomous zones. 
So you can live independently. You can live a cultural Kurdish lifestyle. You can basically have freedom on a small scale of how you live your life as long as you pay tax to us and as long as you're ultimately answerable to our government. And that's kind of the next best option mm. that a lot of them have entertained. So, but they haven't implemented that yet, or they... There are, there are Kurdish, there yeah. Are there are Kurdish zones? autonomous zones. Yeah. yeah, okay. And again, autonomous zones is always in inverted commas. Yeah, sure. And so that's kind of a way of kind of having semi-independence. But it is a very dicey situation. Hmm. I think we need to cool the tension a bit and get into the Patreon special. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> you can join us for just $1.50 a month. And what are we talking about today, boys? We, what, did, what did we say we were talking? We on the last Patreon special we said. Oh uh, yeah. About. Oh dear. I have to look at the list. But whatever <laughs> it is, <laughs> whatever it is, it'll be fun. So we hope that you'll uh, we hope that you'll join us there. Anything final <laughs> we need to say, boys? Mm. <laughs> wow. And this Patreon special really. We'll be with PY, not AIPY. Oh, yeah. We previously had. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.